0: Welcome back to another episode, the 40th episode of The Ordinary Experience. Today I have with me an old school friend, Katie Taylor. Katie, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me, I'm very excited.
0: I'm excited. I am so excited because uh, you are an individual that does something different to some of the other people that we've got on in the past. And today I'd like to dive into and have a conversation around, you know, your university experience because you, you've lived through COVID and at the back end of COVID, but you're also still studying and um, also where that's going and where that's going to take you, but also just kind of just have a conversation around life as well and what you're doing in your life and the social media side of what you're doing. How does that sound?
1: Yeah, it sounds absolutely
0: perfect. Let's dive in then. Well, let's start with uni. Where did you go? What did you do? How did you enjoy it?
1: Yeah, so I went to Bristol University, um, I think I started in 2017, um, and I did psychology, which is a three-year course. Um, I absolutely loved it there, I mean the actual city is amazing, um, and then yeah obviously in third year that was when Covid hit, so it was kind of quite short. Um, which was a shame because I still haven't, you know, had a graduation
0: ceremony or anything, which is do you like, uh, do you want a graduation ceremony? Do you want I, a kind of final ending to it?
1: Yeah, well, you know, like I mean, part of the reason you go to uni is to have a picture of you wearing a hat. Like <laughs> I want that, and I have no idea when that's going to happen. So you know, obviously, I decided to do a masters just in case I miss the first graduation, <laughs> I can have a second one.
0: <laughs> so is it um, on the wall behind you on your right? Is it going up there? Oh, definitely! (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, I love that. Why psychology?
1: Um, Do you know what? It's actually really interesting because when I did, when I started my A levels, I actually chose honestly French, Spanish, and English. I think it was. Um, But then I I realized when I started Spanish that I was not very good at Spanish. Uh, so, I decided to stop doing that and then did the only two that were available in the blocks that I had, which were sociology and psychology. Right. So, I never wanted to do psychology. And then in year, th- in year 12, like towards the end, I realized that I was really enjoying it. So, I was like, yeah, I absolutely love this. It was just so interesting. Like, who doesn't want to learn more about the way they work and why they behave? And I just think it's so interesting. Is there a um,
0: specific part you like about it?
1: Well, when I started it at A-level, I really liked, um, it was like the forensic psychology that I liked. Mm. But then I had like a reality check that that's like impossible to get into. So I, you know, lowered my bar a bit. Um, and then throughout uni, I gradually became more and more interested in like nutrition, eating behaviour, obesity, um and like the health consequences and how we choose food why we eat food that sort of stuff um and why, I kind you, of-
0: why is the bar for forensics so high is there a reason for that
1: i think it's just a, it's a real niche like obviously a lot of the areas of psychology like everyone experiences them whereas forensics is very it's a very small population right um and it's also really like difficult like it's obviously one of the most difficult forms of psychology because it's quite intense um there's a lot of training that you have to do um and then I think I just realized that I wanted something a bit more light-hearted than than that so yeah
0: <laughs> no that's cool I uh I always found it was like forensic psychology is sort of CSI right yeah or like <laughs> Hannibal and trying to figure out the minds <laughs> of a uh, of a murderer I always found that stuff interesting. I like psychology. I, I think my introduction to it was we both, we both had Mr. Shaw as a teacher, yeah, yeah. Mr. Shaw, he taught He taught me like an introduction course and I loved it, but um, I realized there was so much writing involved. And at that time I wasn't really enjoying writing too much. So um, yeah. I ended up not choosing it, but Freud was my first introduction. It's kind of like the selling point of psychology, isn't it? Yeah, you
1: have to start with it. It's, it's because he's like, he's really old personality in psychology, like a really old figure, but he was so
0: like wacky, like his ideas were so out there, but. Didn't he have this one that was like, children end up, or men end up trying to become attracted to their mother because they see their fathers are, like as a mate and and then they try to get attracted to their mother and then they realize that they need to be more like their father, which is why they're more like their father, father. And then that's why they go for women that are similar to their mothers. Like, uh, my mind was just, uh, this complex. this 16-year-old's mind was just blown. I was like, whoa, really, is this I true? I just remember
1: the, the one lesson that always stuck in my head was when we were talking about penis envy. I couldn't stop laughing at that lesson. It was so weird.
0: Was, but, he did a lesson on penis envy.
1: Yeah, because Freud was all about, you know, women were jealous that guys had penis and didn't. <laughs>
0: Okay, I'm gonna have to do some research into this. God damn, I've heard about I've heard about brain envy, uh, but I've never heard about penis envy. That's a new one for me.
1: Yeah, that I was wasn't it.
0: expecting that today. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! But you enjoyed it, right? You enjoyed the whole process of learning about the body. Um, did it teach you anything? And did you make like changes in your life? You know, obviously we're talking about A levels here, but did he did you make any changes in your life at that young age? I say young age, a couple of years ago.
1: Um. You know what, I can't even remember what we learn about at A-level properly. But I feel like learning about mental health is really interesting. But again, I feel like it's something at A-level, because they want to keep you interested in psychology. They tend to pick the really out there subjects that they know people will find interesting. So instead of doing a mental health condition like depression, they do one like schizophrenia, which is... It seems more interesting than learning about low mood. Um, so I feel like a lot of the stuff we learned at, at A-Level was quite hard to apply to your everyday life because it was quite um, extreme versions of psychology.
0: So it's opinion. almost like the course is a little bit clickbaity.
1: Yeah, exactly. They wanted to keep you interested in it.
0: Right. And what? How, what's the transition like from psychology at A-Level to psychology at university? Because I know you studied at the University of Bristol. For me, economics was a massive jump you had basically the course the the A level course condensed to 2 weeks from 2 years and you do a quick overview of it and i was just shocked at how different the course was from an A level what was psychology like
1: yeah it was similar because there were people coming in from a non psychology background right. we did kind of have to do like a it, like the first year was kind of like the basics of psychology but whilst they were similar to A-level, obviously they were in a lot more depth. Mm. And I think the thing that I struggled with the most was knowing what they wanted from pieces of coursework. Um, Because obviously the essay writing is completely, like it's completely new level. I remember at A-level, we were told to be very balanced in our arguments, whereas university is when you can finally start to have more of an opinion in your writing. So if you find a viewpoint that is, more accurate or you believe more in you can argue that point instead of being like okay so here's the evidence for and here's the evidence against i think it's probably a mixture of the both like it it really develops your independence of thought i think
0: that's interesting i never felt economics was, was similar but i never felt i could there was something built into me that i always thought i had to give a balanced argument yeah because maybe just because we're so used to it like I, we both studied history right yeah and so at a level you have to give a balanced argument otherwise you don't get the marks and we had miss as a teacher yeah and she was like if you didn't give a balanced argument you were getting a zero yeah that uh so yeah i just ended up wiring me different differently and so that's probably why i didn't do as well as i could have
1: yeah what was I bristol like what was bristol like i i, I mean the actual city was amazing mm-hmm. the university wasn't bad Uh but
0: you're a bristol alumni now
1: i am yeah (laughs) Um, but the i think it was you know seeing other people on different courses having 18 hours of contact time a week whereas in my final year i had five hours a week that's it and that was that was it that was five hours of contact time a week that was it um which i just thought was Kind of laughable because you're paying so much money it ended up being that the lecture the individual lectures were worth for the amount you're paying for the year like ended up being like 300 pound a lecture it was I mean it was so stupid but they do teach it well and I guess the good thing about it is it really taught you to be independent because a lot of the stuff you had to do was outside work instead of the more practical side of it um, but I think for the majority of it it was good and I got stuck in to a scholarship with one of the lecturers i think it was in the summer of second year um, which i applied for through the british psychological society so i was doing a summer of research so that meant that i got to know everyone in the um, nutrition and behavior unit like all of the researchers the lecturers so i could make the most of my third year because i was kind of continuing on with that
0: Um,
1: but i know for a lot of people they just didn't get to know the lecturers at all
0: do you think it helps getting to know the lecturers or do you think that having that divide of you know lecturer student was good because we went both went to brass it's a boarding school but the culture there is different because you have a because you're with these people 24 7 it's more than a a normal primary school or secondary school you uh you develop a closer relationship but there's still the barrier of teacher student
1: yeah yeah absolutely and i think when you got into sixth form it was like a whole other thing as well wasn't it like when you were Mm. below sixth form it was like definitely the teacher student whereas when it got to sixth form a lot of the lecturers they were more happy to see you on like a similar level to them which for me was really good because it made me feel like respected and I feel like when I got to uni you feel so at least I did like detached from lecturers because there were so many students in your course and what felt like so few lecturers so if i Mm. hadn't had the opportunity to actually get to know them properly then i think it would have felt really yeah like dissociated but i think it was good for me did
0: you did you enjoy the bristol culture (laughs) the bristol culture is an interesting culture oh let's do this (laughs) like bristol i the bristol was on my list of universities i think for economics it was triple a and i was Oh, maybe it was bath but I went to see Bristol and I like I really wanted to go to it and I'm not sure why just I had a calling in some in yeah. some weird way to study economics there and um, yeah it, I, I liked it because of the town I like the city I like you know the it's aesthetically pleasing
1: yeah but um,
0: the, yeah the course requirements are too high for me but yeah go go on tell me about Bristol culture
1: yeah so the psychology grades were A star AA to get uh, in which was the same as Cambridge so I had an interview for Cambridge but didn't get past the interview Um, so it was the same grades as Oxford so Mm. obviously you know you have high expectations in that Um, and I think Bristol is one of the highest percentages of private school students so I think it was something quite worrying like 40% 40% of the students there were private school and obviously in the population of the UK it's like two percent or something so it was a huge disparity between and I'm not when I say private schools I mean like Eton and Harrow and you know they're really 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 private schools
0: they're different aren't they like just the way they yeah. think is different and I'm, that's not slating them in any way I think it's you know you go to private school to be around individuals that think differently right
1: yeah exactly
0: but uh it must have been very weird for you to to dive into that coming from a state boarding school
1: yeah and it yeah it was really strange um and I feel like anyone going to university is kind of you kind of have to have a level it sounds awful but you do kind of have to have a level of finance behind you because it is a really, really expensive thing to do if you don't have, if I didn't have support from my family, like this, I just wouldn't have been able to go. Um, But then obviously, yeah, there are some people who have a lot more money. Um, And the way that the halls were kind of separated as well in the first year, Mm -hmm. so the city centre halls, which I
0: wasn't part of, I was part of like the outside halls, which is where- most Bristol isn't a campus, right? It's all over the city.
1: Well, yeah, it's weird because it's in the city, but there's kind of like one section of the city where all of the university buildings are. So it's technically not a campus uni, but it feels like a campus uni, but you're literally in the centre of Bristol.
0: That's weird. Yeah, Um, it must be a weird feeling.
1: Yeah, it was because you kind of like walked up a hill and then you're in uni and you walk back down the hill and you're like on the strip. Right. That's true. (laughs) We're on the club, so. <laughs> on this
0: street it's the ibiza <laughs> oh. so i know like i i did my research when i was picking universities and you know during the time that we start choosing all these reports come out about university cultures and things like that like one of the things that i remember about bristol and bath was that they have really high kind of drug use is that true
1: yes a hundred percent like literally like people would be high in lectures and like it was it was a very scary difference from like I felt like I was very protected in REA and then suddenly going here I was like everyone's doing drugs like everyone does drugs <laughs> and I mean you can very easily like stay out of the groups that do um but it definitely has a rep and <laughs> I remember looking at all of like the you know, when you see those like BuzzFeed league tables and stuff. That's and, the
0: you, one we're talking
1: about. Yeah, um, interestingly, it was never Bristol that was high, but it was UE, which is the um, other uni in Bristol, so the University of West England. That's always number one for drug use. So definitely like Bristol is like a, a
0: hub. A hub of drugs. <laughs> Did you, um, did you, were you able to kind of find your feet there and make friends? And obviously, is psych- psychology, you said, was a, quite a subscribe to course. So yeah. were you able to find your sort of tribe, your people, while you were there in psychology? Or were you the type of person that had different friends in different areas?
1: Um. So I had like a very small group of friends at Bristol. So I had um, some girls that I did psychology with. Um, that I lived with throughout the other like the following years, and I spent most of my time with. Hmm. Um, and then through them, I met other people. And then through my first year flatmates, I met other people. Um, so I came out with probably like five or six like strong friendships, but I knew a lot of other people, but I didn't really spend like a lot of time with them.
0: Coming out of uni now, and obviously you're doing a your masters, but. Do you still talk to this, the core group of friends?
1: Yeah, yeah. I still talk to the people that I lived with and three other people that I was just like close friends with throughout.
0: Did you ever get told that, you know, once you finish uni, that circle gets dramatically smaller?
1: Yeah, well, I, w- I was always told, like, you know, university is going to be the best year of your life. You're going to meet loads of people and it's going to be amazing. And then you're going to have lifelong friends. And then I was like, well, where is everyone?
0: Like, where are all my friends? I had that moment. <laughs> I had that moment as well. Because we- you're literally fed that narrative up until you go. And then first year is obviously, I mean, I don't remember my first year. I was pretty licked half the time, um, even though I was a complete lightweight. But I don't, I don't really remember it. Most of it's a blur. To be perfectly honest, I remember like key points, but like once a week or twice a week, we'd go out, we'd drink, uh, come back. And then it's just that cycle of, um, and then you get fed the, oh, but 40% is all you need. First year doesn't count. First year does count. First year counts by getting you into a routine for the next two years. Because the jump is, the jump is huge from first year to second year.
1: Yeah. Oh my God. Huge, huge.
0: And like the jump between A-level, you thought the jump between A-level and first year was big. But the jump between uh, first year and second year, I thought was bigger because it's like, oh, you're established now. Now, let's get on to the proper work.
1: Yeah, exactly. It, it's the, the expectations are a lot, lot higher.
0: Oh, most definitely. I felt I feel like that's a real problem, especially in society that they say that university are the best years of your life when. And it, it's almost like it, it makes it an, an incentive to go because of that. But that doesn't mean that you can have your best years or best years, whatever that means to you outside of university doing an apprenticeship or doing something else like for me uni uni wasn't the best years of my life but it made me the person I am today like I'm able to have these conversations because it exposed me to thousands of people that I wouldn't have otherwise been exposed to and I needed that exposure
1: yeah and I think that by saying it's going to be the best years of your life like if you don't have that you're just automatically gonna feel like something's wrong with your experience or with you because if everyone else is having such a great time then why aren't you and it's you're only going to have like you're never going to meet that expectation of it being amazing if it doesn't actually exist
0: i agree i definitely agree with that i've got a question for you did you did you take any anything away from uni in terms of lessons learned
1: i feel like i definitely learn the value of effort um i feel like at a level i was definitely i definitely worked harder than a lot of people but at uni i realized that like the more you put in the more you get out and i think that was the first time i realized um, that if you do spend a lot of time revising and time prepping the coursework then you do get it back but at the same time it's not all about that like you can fall down in one piece of coursework and still get the grade you want overall so you don't have to be perfect all the time and i think that's something i've always struggled with is like perfection and i get very stressed around coursework because i always want to do better than my last one or i always want to keep it consistent and if i fall down at one point i'm like oh my god i failed like i'm never gonna get a first now i've ruined this piece of coursework Whereas. I still came out with a first overall, even though absolutely not getting a first in all of my pieces of Like, So I was like, do you know what? You can do lower than you think you should and still get where you want to be.
0: Where do you think that trait of perfection comes from? As a psychologist, are you Is able it? to diagnose yourself?
1: <laughs> I honestly don't know. I don't, I mean, obviously having Charlotte as an older sister, she's she's incredibly smart as well. So I don't know if I was always just trying to like, get to her level or i think i've just i think i'm just a very anxious person around academia and around my own success like everyone i feel like everyone has very high expectations of me as well and if i don't meet those then i get quite like in my head about it um so I think that's, I think it's, other, it's imagining other people's expectations, even no matter how many times someone tells me, I don't, I don't mind how you do. Like, it doesn't matter if you don't get a first. I'm always thinking, I know you're saying that just to make me feel better, but I know you actually want me to get a first.
0: Like... <laughs> yeah. Cause like you take the parents, for example, they do want you to do well. And the first is the best example of that. I mean, there's no, there's nothing higher. Right. But you always know that they're in a way like a golden parachute, especially our parents. So I always want to strive to do the best thing possible, but at the same time, I know they're saying it because they want it as well.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like they wouldn't be encouraging me to do all these things if they didn't want me to do the best that I could. And I know that I can do really well. Mm. It's just whether I can actually get myself to get there.
0: On the topic of an- on anxiety, couldn't even get that word out today, damn how do you manage it or manage anxiety manage your anxiety is there is there a coping mechanism you have is it i don't know i i do yoga and meditation so for me that that helps with that
1: yeah um it kind of depends the time of the year and what year like there were points in uni when i had absolutely no coping mechanisms and i was just an absolute mess but recently I've been trying to, you know, encourage myself to, like we were talking about before, um, going on runs. I've just started the Couch to 5k, um, because I think that's why I coped with school so much better than I coped with uni, because I had netball as an outlet, I had athletics as an outlet, like, sport was integrated into my routine, so I didn't have to do anything extra to motivate myself, like, if there was a netball match, I would be a part of that netball match. Whereas mm. when it got to uni, motivating myself to do exercise oh, and even... Um, we just would stay in bed. Yeah. And it's so like, it's so expensive. Like I did a lot of gym in first year and I think in second year, I didn't have a gym pass. in third year, but in the first and second year, you know, I, I tried weights, I tried yoga, I tried Pilates and they were all really fun. Um, but in third year, I just, I just didn't, didn't do it. Whereas now yeah I'm, I think it's the new course because I'm obviously doing health psychology now so it's more specific to obviously improving your health and understanding your health so every lecture is like if you don't exercise you'll get dementia if you don't exercise you'll have cardiovascular disease if you don't exercise you'll get cancer I'm just thinking right oh, well I need because I, I can't exactly like be preaching all of this stuff about physical activity and not do it myself so do you feel
0: there's an expectation on that like as as you're becoming a health psychologist do you feel feel there's an expectation to make sure that you practice what you preach
1: yeah and I think it is really important because how can you give someone advice on these things being good for you if you can't do them yourself like how are you supposed to say you can eat, you can get back into exercise like you know it's not that hard when I find it really hard like I can't say that without feeling like guilty so like, I, I am definitely tr- I'm trying well, I mean I've never really eaten too unhealthily, but I'm trying to make sure I'm eating much healthier than I did before. And what know, does eat- that
0: mean to you? Does do you eat, do you still eat meat, or are you turning to like a whole plant-based kind of diet?
1: Yeah, so it was in it was actually after the David Attenborough documentary that he did the end of last year. Mm. Um, I mean, is it our planet? I think it was that one. It was just like the 100%. one documentary, like the film thing. Mm. Um, after watching that, I was just like, oh my god. I need to do it more like I just felt so guilt ridden after it and I used to be a veggie when I was in I think I was in year seven and I did it for like a year or so really? um, it might be more than that it might be in a couple of years but um that was just that was a stupid reason I literally saw a rabbit that was dead on the side of the road not that anyone eats rabbit and I was like wow that animal looks really like it's suffering let's turn veggie I mean it was there was no logic behind that at all whereas this one I was like actually this might help um because it being veggie isn't just good for animals or good for the planet, it's really, if you do it right, it's really good for your body as well because we do definitely, as a population, eat far too much red meat and processed meat in particular, which is, if you eat it too much, really bad for you. Um, so I, I started vegetarianism again, I think it was October last year. Um, and it, I feel really good about it because it's encouraged my family to eat a lot of veggie meals as well. So Charlotte eats most meals veggie with me as well. Mm-hmm. And then my mom and dad, um, instead of having to cook two meals, we're just trying to try new uh, vegetarian meals together. So I know that it will be doing them the world of good as well.
0: <laughs> That's amazing. Like I was, I was veggie right up until I remember the first day I ever tried meat. It was in Dubai. It was at this hotel that we got recommended to on the train. And I tried fish for the first time. And ever since, since that point, it kind of spiraled out of control. It was fish, and then it was um, – so it started with, with prawns and stuff, and then it, it progressed to bigger fish, salmon, things like that. And then yeah. tried my hand at chicken, and then that sort of spiraled into to, to pork wow. and uh, beef and everything else. And so there was one point where I was just eating everything under the sun. And don't get me wrong, I love the taste of meat. Like, I'm not slating – I'm not one of those vegans that slates – uh, carnivores that eat meat because i i understand why you like it like don't get me wrong i love a steak like a wagyu i i completely yeah. enjoy um but i also know that for me when i turned vegan and it was because it was one of those stupid reasons i heard a goat being slaughtered and from that point <laughs> i was like i'm done
1: like that's more of a reason than my one
0: <laughs> i didn't see the goat i didn't see the goat i just heard it yeah. that was it it was from that point and um i stopped at first i stopped eating eggs because and i never thought i'd be the person to do this i saw an infographic that said that eggs are essentially mucus I, and i okay. saw it and i was like i'm done we're done here i can't eat eggs and this was in india so um it was quite it was all right it wasn't bad because you're able to survive of different things that you know their whole their whole diet is basically vegan anyway And so that was quite easy, but coming back to the UK and then, you know, you get the smell of a a Thai green curry, Thai green chicken curry, like, Ooh, that that's Friday night. I could go for a takeaway, but uh, I've enjoyed it. I I think for me um, red meat causes me to be aggressive and I feel there's an aggression in me. I'm not sure if there's any scientific research behind it, but there is definitely a level of aggression that red meat gives me that I don't particularly like, but I, I enjoy. And like, as well, I'm, I'm, virtually teetotal i do enjoy the taste of wine um, and i'm trying to work my way back into it but i also feel the clarity it gives you veganism vegetarianism um, and i think pescatarianism is in to an extent fine as well it's less impact on the body
1: yeah and i mean that's that's the thing like fish is actually a really really good source of nutrients that um is really important so I would say like if you're going to do anything like pescatarianism is actually quite a healthy option and I think the benefit of you know starting things like this now is because there's such a global movement for helping the planet and helping ourselves um there are so many options now that you wouldn't have had even 10 years ago um you know like recipes everyone's you know like vegan instagrams and you can And like Joe Wicks does loads of really easy, quick vegetarian meals that are cheap. So it's, if you do just a a teeny weeny bit of research, you can have like seven meals that you can alternate between. So even if, and again, even if you do, you know, like we start with one day veggie a week and then two day veggies a week, and then you kind of like incrementally increase it. I think it's. I think it's a really, really good thing to
0: to do. Did you find it difficult?
1: I didn't. I literally just stopped. Like, was it after one day started, and just done? Yeah, I think I watched the documentary on the Saturday and on the Monday I was like, I don't, want, I don't want to eat meat anymore, and that was it. I haven't eaten it since.
0: Did your, did your parents? Were they like, what about all the meat that's in the fridge? Can you at least finish that first?
1: <laughs> they actually weren't. To be honest, they were perfectly no, no. fine. With it. <laughs>
0: For me, uh, when we were like, we used to, uh, while I was in India, we basically ate out for the whole year. Our food is so, it's dirt cheap out there. So um, we we sort of transitioned into eating vegetarian food, which is fine. And, ve- and it wasn't vegan at that point. But on the topic of this, of, you know, the global movement, you know, you've got, um, there's that film, uh, Green, oh, Jesus, plant based. It's the plant based film with the athletes. I caught Game Changers, that's the one. Okay. Take a watch if you haven't seen it, it's a great film. And the only issue I have with plant-based foods is that they're high, so highly processed, but at the same time, they're so damn expensive right now. Yeah. And it's almost as if you've got to pay more to eat healthy. Yeah. And so you, like, I, I shop at Waitrose from time to time, and to buy the organic stuff, I've got to pay an extra 50p on top of everything else. And you're like, come on, that, this doesn't make sense.
1: Yeah and I think that's where society is falling or at least like food manufacturing and food advertising and stuff is really falling down because if people are aware of actually it was, I was in I had a, a lecture on obesity last week um, and a lot of people say the lower income families they don't know how to eat healthily that's why they think it's expensive but actually 74% of the lowest incomes family expendable income would have to go on just food to meet the recommendations and that's not including things like um, uh, paying for an oven to use the oven like a fridge anything like that whereas with the highest income it's like two percent of their expendable income would be used to meet those requirements compared to like the 74 percent and I think if people could understand that not everyone has that money to be able to eat like that or if we you know educate people on how to use like because tinned food isn't unhealthy it's obviously just got a longer lifespan but you know you can get mixed beans you can Get mixed vegetables in a can, which is cheaper than getting fresh veg. Obviously, fresh is better, but it's not like eating out of a can isn't detrimental to your health. It's better than eating like processed meat or frozen food or things like that. So, I think that if there was more education around how you can eat healthier for less, but also encouraging food manufacturers to understand that not everyone can afford the prices that they're giving, I just think that there there needs to be more. Around considering other people's socioeconomic status um when it comes to healthy eating and access to gyms and things like that, I just think there's a lot more that should be done
0: well speaking of a lot more that should be done you do do that you do educate people don't you
1: I try to <laughs>
0: like your your whole social media is now geared towards or you started a, a social media journey as I like to call it because social media so is a journey um, of educating people and it's called it's called health psychology by Katie. Health, with Katie health with Katie health with Katie I'll get it right one day <laughs> right we'll put the uh, we'll put the at in the show notes but tell me why you started that and kind of where that came from was it because of this Of I want to educate people or is it an extension of what you're doing with your masters of let me try and explain the complicated stuff because I found that I haven't done a masters but I found that in the third year when I was reading papers I always found them so difficult to comprehend. And so when I was doing my my own social media journey of creating, I went through a phase of taking papers, PhD papers, master's papers, and trying to simplify them. And that's basically what you do.
1: Yeah, and I think, I think like you say, it's definitely a mixture of the two reasons. Um, I think when I started the master's, I realized how much of the information we were learning I hadn't heard of before. and I was thinking, if it's that important to your health, why isn't it more widely known? Mm. Um, and I think the thing I like about the masters I'm doing is the health doesn't just talk about um, like physical health, it obviously includes mental health as well. Um, and it takes so many factors into consideration, like I was saying about socioeconomic status, race, gender, How all of those things interact to influence your health behaviors and I think that if more people were aware of how it works for different people and how different people work within that um I think a lot of people can learn from it and like we were talking about my most recent post with the um like myths about schizophrenia I think it's a lot of the stuff we learn is from media and from tv shows and movies and you just they, they just try and make it as you know dramatic as
0: possible. And, it sells.
1: Yeah, exactly. And you know, making every serial killer have a mental health problem is just not—it's not fair because it gives such it provides such a stigma around any form of mental health. And you know, these stereotypes—they do persist and they really affect the way that people with mental health problems think about themselves and they don't want to talk about it because they're scared they're going to be judged and it's the same with anything like it's just it's such a shame that we can't have an open conversation about things like mental health like we can about physical health you know like if someone has um a physical health condition like cancer or something you're not going to be like oh wow you're going to be a serial killer like there's just no association there whereas if you have depression or schizophrenia or like anything like that you're just destined in the media to do something bad and I think that's horrible so I think that trying to educate people on how physical health conditions can develop the same with mental health conditions at the same time as debunking myths around who has them what they're likely to do if they have them I think that's kind of like where I want to come from from it but like you say it's very hard to find like sort of learn enough about it to feel like you're it's okay for you to educate someone on it but then at the same time simplifying it enough for people who aren't experts in it to understand it so it's like it's a lot of work and I think when I started I didn't realize quite how much work it was going to be but I do really enjoy it because it really consolidates my understanding of stuff.
0: That's always the best way right to be able to teach it shows that you understand it.
1: Yeah yeah exactly exactly.
0: But talk to me about what it's been like to grow so fast because you've you started what a couple months ago. Yeah,
1: I think it started
0: in October. October, and you've and I remember at first it wasn't consistent posting, and now you've got into this really consistent sort of persona of the of the. You've got your own private account, but the the actual brand itself of the Instagram account. I am gonna get the name right. I will. I promise. <laughs> um, what's it been like to grow that? Because it's an extension of you yeah right. but from a from a completely social media perspective of is it well it is it is right it is a completely different domain than what you're used to
1: yeah absolutely and I think like you say it has grown a lot faster than I was expecting it to and I definitely see like the more interaction you have with other people's posts and the more you try and engage other people like you know through stories and polls and quizzes and asking well, you people do that what so they well want you
0: do it so well like i I, like i i watch katie's stuff and i think i can do that like i i I should be doing that i can do that why aren't i doing that
1: (laughs) you definitely pick up on what people are interested in like oh my god the this or that things are so popular like when i do those the amount of story views i get and interaction with them you know i have like 100 people replying to them whereas sometimes you post and you know you get like 60 likes on it whereas the stories get so much more interaction so it's about like I think at first I was like oh why why aren't people engaging more with my content like I really want people to you know yeah like engage with it but then I realized actually you know what the fact that even 60 people have seen this hopefully that means that they'll have taken the information on board or it will have just like reminded them of you know how important these things are um so I definitely like have like lowered my expectations of what i want to get from it but um yeah it is is difficult is there a Uh, vision
0: for it is there a vision of where you want to take it or is it going to consistently be trying to debunk the myths um, simplify the the mental health aspect of of psychology and also helping educating people on it
1: yeah i think that like ultimately that that is my goal is to you know take things that are Previously this thought and try and like challenge that um I mean obviously like the end goal would be you know to be able to post my own research on there and be like this is something I found in my own study like that would be so cool
0: (laughs) I like that it'll get there I think it will I genuinely believe that because you're putting out good into the world and like I believe in karma to an extent of on the term on in terms of energy but you're putting out such a good thing in the world, and people are give you back that energy when they when they engage with your post positively, um, and negatively because it allows you to learn yourself. So okay. it will get to a point where I believe you'll be able to turn this into a business and it be health health by Katie. I be, so. Yes, health by Katie be an extension, um or even be able to be something that you do full time alongside your your day job. Yeah, I I, I
1: would. Really love that. I mean, if I can get more and more people engaging and interested, I think that would be really good. And even, yeah, like when, yeah, once you're qualified, you know, it means you can actually legally give information to people.
0: <laughs> That's true, right? Because right now it's just advice.
1: Well, I, te- I don't even know if technically you're allowed to give advice, I don't really know what the sort of rules are behind it but i mean you know i'm just taking information that's already out there that anyone else can find but you know i'm not i would never if someone messaged me directly i could never give them like counseling because i'm absolutely not qualified for that i'm just taking things that i find interesting and letting other people know about them instead of you know giving specific yeah individualized advice
0: so in, in a way it's also your opinion on stuff
1: yeah exactly and i think that some people will definitely have opinions that don't agree with me but at the end of the day like i want i feel like if you're interested in something you're always going to have an opinion on it
0: so. agreed do you did you fall into the i don't know what to call it the abyss in social media where you get too caught up in the likes and the views at yes. one point or are you still are you still caught up in that
1: i think i do definitely still get caught up in that like sometimes i'll post And then it hasn't had any interactions in like 20 minutes so I'll take it down and post it at another point because I'm like I want people to see it um but I've tried to like stop myself from doing that now um I am trying to like identify when most people see it but even that doesn't always work like I could post it at the same time every week and some would get 30 likes some would get 100 likes like it's just for me there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason so I'm still getting used to that I think
0: I don't truly understand the analytics aspect of Instagram um I don't understand the analytics aspect of YouTube either I need to do a deep dive into that but you do sometimes get caught up by the numbers don't you
1: yeah absolutely and it's, Has it it's
0: taken a toll on your mental health or not
1: um I don't think so much at the moment um because I'm putting slightly less work into it because I've been quite busy with other stuff mm-hmm. um but it definitely you know when when you're so passionate about something and you put a lot of work into collating the information and then putting that in the visual that people can easily engage with and understand, when you don't get much response to it, it's quite hard because you're like, why aren't people interested in this stuff? Because it is really important. It should be important to everyone, like living a healthy lifestyle, helping people be more inclusive. Like to me, that's just so important. And actually, one thing that I found particularly interesting was I did like a mini social experiment where I posted the first picture that I ever posted of myself on my Instagram, other than my introduction one, Mm -hmm. was where it was like, don't always believe what people put on social media because realistically like behind the scenes that's not how they're feeling and that was a picture of me that i really liked but i had makeup on and my hair was done it was on christmas day i was feeling really good about myself i posted that yeah and that has 50 more likes than all of my other posts and i was like why is instagram just highlighting exactly what i'm putting in this post but it's doing the opposite like i'm trying to say you know, it shouldn't be these posts that get all of the info. Like, all it, of the, was the post, um, it was the post. So, as soon as I posted a picture of myself, that's when all of the likes started flooding in. And I was like, why? Why can't people like the information posts? Like, it was so weird. But I mean, I guess that's just how society is at the moment, isn't it? So, do you
0: think it would be something that you do in the future where you take the personality of Katie and you integrate her into the brand of Health by Katie?
1: I think I definitely want to get myself more involved. But I feel like I still need to work on myself a bit more to kind of, like, I think that I've been trying to do that with the recipes sort of thing, like mm. trying to do a more interactive thing with that, like about what I eat. Um, but I think once I've learned more about everything, it would be nice to be able to, yeah, put myself more into it. Um, but I think I, I know how people are and I know how, I kind of want people to focus more on the information than on me. So it's, yeah, it's hard getting that balance, I guess.
0: When you say put in work, what do you mean by that? Work on yourself.
1: So I guess like, I know I'm not perfect. Like, you know, mentally, like physical health, I'm sure I'm perfectly fine, but mental health, I know that I I find it hard to give other people mental health advice when my mental health isn't. At all. like I'm on antidepressants, I I have like anxiety, you know, I'm starting CBT soon. Not that I'm embarrassed to talk about it, but I think that it's hypocritical for me to give advice on how to cope with mental health when I'm not necessarily coping the best.
0: Do you think that's something that, do you, do you think it'd be useful for other people to see that side and then allow them to make their own judgment
1: yeah I'm sure it would it's I just I I know I know like the stigma around mental health like I'm very aware of it so I just feel like if I put that out there whether people would think like you know it's discrediting my work or like how can they trust it because it's obviously not working for you like I can just you know when you can just visualize the comments that will come back and it's like Okay, maybe, maybe I'll leave
0: it a little bit. <laughs> I, I, when I started this podcast, I think it was the fourth episode. Um, it's called University Year Three. And it was back when the podcast was called, I will name this podcast later. And that was the point at which I discussed publicly and to myself as well, kind of got it off my own shoulders and talked about it uh, my depression and wanting to take my own life.
1: Mm.
0: And, um, it's one of the highest viewed ones of the of the whole thing of the whole podcast but for me being able to do that and being able to talk about it I was scared what people would say one um two there was an element of I don't really give a fuck because I'm doing this for me I'm doing this because I know there's other people out there and I also know that if 300 people can look at this they can potentially analyze what I've done wrong or how I can make improvements on myself because I genuinely feel that sometimes more brains are better than one yeah right? it's like a supercomputer so one computer works but when you've got tons of them working all together well then you're going to get more work done faster could you c- can we dive into your mental health a little
1: yeah absolutely
0: I know it's a I know it's a subject that's quite close to your heart, um, but you've also experienced it yourself. I know we we talked off camera about your experience at university. Could you run me through that? And we can have like a back and forth between that, because I'd like to understand from my point of view and someone that hasn't experienced what you've experienced, how we can better improve society.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So it was in first year, uh, in the January, um, I was sexually assaulted after a night out. Um, and it happened in my kitchen, in my halls, um, which kind of like, encouraged me to have a very poor relationship with food uh, afterwards. So I just didn't want to go into the kitchen to cook. So I spent spend as little time in there as possible. Um, so that, like, I lost quite a lot of weight after that. Um, and after that, I think about a month later um i had like talking therapy which i just found incredibly unhelpful i found that they were um what's the word when they're talking down to you like it felt like they were talking to me like i was a child
0: i, know, I, was, the word I know the way you're talking about condescending it, it felt
1: like really condescending and i was like this isn't
0: helping me this is actually just making me angry like could you explain what talking therapy is
1: yeah, so it's literally just, it's kind of, you know, you, you're you speaking to a counsellor and you've got an open space to air how you're feeling, your thoughts, how you've been feeling during the week. And then they don't really give you advice as such. It's more, they give you options. So I remember one of the options I was given was buy a plant, And I remember at the time I was thinking, how on earth is buying a plant gonna help me stop like having panic attacks? And I mean, it it just seems so ridiculous. And then later on, so it was probably about six or seven months after the incident, um, I had CBT, so cognitive behavioural therapy, because I I was diagnosed with PTSD. And the CBT was specifically directed at, helping me work through what happened so I remember the first I think it was the first three sessions I was literally sitting in a chair and she told me to talk through everything that happened but each week I had to do something slightly different so one week I would have my eyes open one week I would have my eyes closed one week she would make me explain how I was feeling at the time as I was telling the story and I mean it was so hard to do because obviously it was seven months down the line and I was having to relive it and it was mm-hmm. all, I remember like I was like physically shaking as I was talking about it and she was like if you feel like you know you're in an unsafe headspace like you need to grip onto the chair to make you realize that you're in a room like you're with someone it was it was it felt so out of body because it, it really did put me back into that situation so vividly, and I didn't think it was possible, but I was having really bad nightmares about it. Um, So, you know, that's when I was put on antidepressants. They were like ones that help you sleep. Um, So I ended up basically just being like knocked out every night because I was taking these tablets, which helped me with my sleep. Obviously, it wasn't great for like processing things. But the reason why I, I wanted to talk about it was because I had a very different experience to a lot of people, because the, when it happened someone came in and saw so called security and then the security called the police so they all came and they had their body cameras on so they caught this person being racially abusive to one of the security members mm-hmm. so i remember after that i gave a statement the next day well before i even gave the statement i remember the police woman was like we've got video evidence of him being abusive. Obviously we didn't get evidence, physical evidence of what happened to you, but looking at how he's been acting, you know, I think we can take this to court and I'm pretty sure that we can be successful in getting you justice.
0: She gave you you expectations.
1: Exactly, exactly. And I knew how these things work normally. I knew that most people never even heard about them or people weren't even aware of the fact that it was an assault or whatever.
0: Can I, so I, can I ask before you go on? And you don't, you don't have to talk about it if you don't want to. But when you say sexual assault, what does that mean? Like what, in, in your personal experience, what did he do?
1: So I guess it's, it's like, obviously there's different severities of it. But, you know, it was him doing something that I didn't want. Him to. It was a scary situation as well. You know, I was trying to call one of my friends to help me. He would take my phone. Um, like it was a really it wasn't just like it was a threatening situation. You know, I had a boyfriend.
0: It wasn't playful.
1: No, not not at all. I was absolutely terrified. Absolutely terrified. Um so yeah, and then obviously the thing with the court, I went through so it happened in January, and then the court date was set for November. He was put in um, an institution for, it was a long time, it was like three months or something, um, like a, a mental institution, um, and a week. But throughout the whole 11 months, they were saying, yeah, it's fine, it's gonna go to court. I was preparing myself to give a witness statement in front of everyone, he was gonna be in the room. Like, it was a lot of, obviously, you have the assault to get past, then you were also having to think about the fact, I'm gonna to have to relive this in 11 months time in front of him, like, I mean, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. And I was going through uni at the same time. I was like, what is happening? Um, and then a week before I was supposed to, before the court date, the police officer, one of the detectives rang me and was like, and he he's fled insanity, like it's not happening anymore. A week, so I waited 11 months and then a week before the date, they said it wasn't happening anymore.
0: It was... How did that How did that make you feel?
1: I was so, like not even upset. I was so angry, but I wasn't angry at him. I was angry at the police. I was like, how can you let a vulnerable 19-year-old girl go through all of this when you've promised her that she's going to get something out of it? I wasn't even doing it for me. I was doing it for the fact that it would get him away so if you couldn't do it to anyone else and yeah literally being t- and it felt like such a cop out like a week before like surely you could have told me months before surely you would have known before then that he was insane um so it was just it was just seems it just seems so unfair and they promised me justice and I got the absolute opposite of that I felt like I was ridiculed because I went through all of that putting my everything into it and then absolutely nothing into it it was awful awful
0: with regards to the incident itself how do you, do you feel like it's had a long time if you said you've got ptsd or been diagnosed with ptsd do you think that's something you're gonna to have to live with for the rest of your life or is that something that is potentially curable
1: yeah so i think i think the cbt really helped me work through that um so I don't think I would consider myself having PTSD anymore. But before the incident, I didn't have depression. I know that definitely. So and I've still got what well, I've got that now, um, and I have since the event. Um, so I think that it's made me wary of people. It's it's something that you can't get out of your head. Like you know, like intrusive thoughts. Just randomly during the day, that image will pop into my head and then I just can't I can't do anything for the rest of the day it's like how am I supposed to get that out of my head how am I supposed to move on from that so it it definitely affects me um the thing that makes me so angry is just like how many other people have been through this and not even had a chance to say anything about it I just think it's so wrong and uni is a hub for it like the amount of sexual assaults that must happen at uni is horrifying because when drinking is involved, it makes it so difficult to prove anything. And consent is such a it's not, it doesn't seem like it's a very easy way, like it's hard to pick up on it basically. It shouldn't be, but it clearly is.
0: It, and it, and like part of the problem is that you give 18 year olds. The ability to have their own space you give them alcohol if they choose to drink it and you give them a sexually active environment but no one teaches them how to act in an environment like that like you're just expected to learn and pick up as you go along like i don't i don't think we had any ross prepared you for a university culture in a way because of the way it was organized like the boarding school aspect so you understood the kind of some of the mechanics of how to live and how to interact with people because you're exposed to so many in such a small environment. But um, you don't really get taught how to deal with university. That's something I feel is, is missing in a syllabus somewhere. Like you do uh, sect education, I don't know um, what it is, oh, is it RE? No, PHACE or whatever it is these days. Yeah. But there's no, this is how university really is. You only get that through certain people coming back to speak and talk about it and even then they prepare they kind of propagate that narrative of it's the best years of your life and then that is included in that best years of your life of you know being sexually active and all of this but um i, I feel i feel like it's a problem and like you see it firsthand in student unions and in clubs where you know individuals men are groping women and trying to take them home or being uh, or, or trying to Take advantage of them when you can clearly see that they are they are just out of sorts and yeah. completely drunk off their heads when and you know they get that kind of vulnerable moment when they're not with their friends like you, at Raw Holloway it was definitely a problem you could see that and um, then you'd hear the next day about some of the things that happened and I just like it sounded funny at the time but when you look back on it you actually realize how disgusting it was yeah
1: and I think that's what people aren't aware of they aren't aware of some of the seemingly innocent things that really aren't okay. Yeah, like you say, you know, like groping in a club. If you haven't said that you want that to happen, then that is a form of assault, regardless of gender. Like, it's there definitely has to be more education on it, and you need to be able to report these things without feeling feeling like it's actually going to go somewhere. You know, something's going to be done about it. it. It's it is it's really really difficult area um but definitely more needs to be done about it because there are so many people that are being affected for like the rest of their lives when the other person is having no consequences or aren't even aware of what they did
0: that's a difficult one trying to explain to someone what they've done when they just won't won't accept it's wrong yeah and that goes that goes for teaching in any capacity but uh especially in your case having him plead insanity and him know that that was potentially know that that was a cop out, um, not a cop out, but a, a way out. It's almost like the get out of jail card in our in our UK kind of jury you say jury system, judicial system. And um, yeah, I don't I don't feel like that should be a way of getting out of things. You plead insanity, and he and our, we had a conversation off camera. He was able to go off scot free essentially, and he went to a university with one of your friends.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a terrifying thought because I remember at the time when the court case was dropped, I had to be in contact with some of the people higher up in Bristol to ensure that he couldn't come back to Bristol. They were gonna they were going to let him come back to Bristol, and I was like, how how is how is that possible? And then when I found out that he'd gone to a, a uni. Where my friend was out, you know, you're just absolutely terrified. And obviously, it's going to happen again. Like, oh, it's so so frustrating, um, and it doesn't feel like there's enough support for. You know, that's the thing. Like, it doesn't even need to be something happens to the other person. Obviously, that would be the the best thing. But universities need to be way more aware of who is and who isn't affected by these things. Um, Like Bristol Uni has a an awful rep for mental health. It's the university I think with the highest suicides in the country, um, and I remember in my, it's either my second or third year I think four people in a term killed
0: themselves. I had a similar issue at Royal Holloway. I think it's it's not on. I'm not sure where it is on the the table of of that. But we had an individual commit suicide in one of the halls, and the university from our understanding it was very all hush hush because it was in a halls so um there was no kind of explanation of what happened how it happened why it happened uh for the students themselves and i always thought that was wrong wrong down down to down to the deepest level like you are not protecting students
1: no and there needs to be a way of more being able to access services more easily i remember at Bristol, well, within Bristol, um, like waiting list for counselling was months long, and
0: it was the same so, at Royal Holloway.
1: Yeah, and if you're having a, a crisis at that time, it can be really hard to reach out in the first place because you either don't want to burden people, you have serious anxiety around talking to other people about it. So you might it takes a lot to even reach out, but then to be told actually we won't be able to see you for six months. I mean. I, I just think it's wrong. I think it's so wrong and more, way more needs to be done about student mental health and yeah, I just, I, it's a very neglected area.
0: How did your friends, um, did you have a support network? How did your friends deal with it? Were you able to reach out to them and, and use them to, to lean on essentially or was that not possible? Was it something that you felt you had to keep to yourself? Because I know for me, I didn't I didn't tell anyone. I only told people when the podcast came out i I confided in about two people um but even they had no idea what i was talking about until the podcast came out and then kind of the, the lego bricks fell into place of oh that's why you were talking like that so were you able to lean on your friends
1: i think because it happened so soon after meeting them properly I didn't feel comfortable talking. I definitely didn't say any details. There was one person um, who was really there for me. He was, you know, we would would meet up and we would would talk about it, he he would come to the flat and make sure that I was all right. Um, But yeah, it, it was just like, there's something about sexual assault that makes it so much more difficult to talk about because it feels really shameful like, you, it's not something you want to be talking about. And it's really hard to reach out to people. So I just didn't really... People were aware that something had happened, but they didn't know what exactly. And they knew that it was going through the court system, I and mean, they knew it was dropped. But that's all cool. they knew. That's the same with uni friends, same with home friends. Obviously, my family were aware. I found it really difficult to talk to my family about it because I was literally spiralling. Um,
0: did they know? Did they yeah, know that they, something was up?
1: Yeah, well the police contacted them after it happened. Um, so they, they knew what had happened, but I I didn't I didn't give them any details. I, I couldn't talk to them about it. I, I don't actually think I've like, I've given anyone details other than a counsellor and the police about what had happened and that genuinely, genuinely told I can't even it's something that you, you just can't even verbalize like I just don't even think I could tell anyone it's so it's like a completely different experience than I've, that I've ever ever had before it's it's feels it so like locked up somewhere that only if I you know have to talk about it would I talk about it but I don't think I would feel comfortable with anyone talking about it it just feels so embarrassing it shouldn't but it does
0: it's difficult like I uh, especially depression as well and like you said you suffer with that it's there's a stigma around it and like like with all the mental health but because depression in a way is sort of everyone can deal with it or everyone can think they have it um the language around it is very difficult to talk about it with because you just people just think you're in a rut but no i actually wanted to take my own life like i i drive past the like it's on the m25 i drive past the bridge every time I go to work on a on a Thursday. Um, when I go and see my friends at Rural Holloway when I go for a shisha or used to go for a shisha. Um, I drive past it, but my brain doesn't let me get back to that spot. And I can talk about it because I'm I'm I've been able to deal with it myself. And it's a com- I'm not comparing experiences here, but I always felt that I never would be able to talk about it and somehow I, I am, but it never lets me feel it. Yeah like it never lets me get back to that spot where i was like if i if i turn the wheel right now no one's going to miss me and then half and then my body not respond to that while you're that you know you're bolting down the motorway at 70 miles an hour so but yeah for me it was always difficult talking about it but when i opened up to my parents because they realized that something was wrong like i would just i just cry by myself and i um i had an issue with drug use at the time and so i'd um I'd, I'd, I'd take drugs and then I'd, uh, I'd basically get up at 4 a.m. to go to the gym and I was becoming an introvert, which is co- complete opposite to my personality. And people could see that something was wrong, but no one said anything. And I was like, I was very good at this act of everything's all right, everything's okay, I'm doing all right, because that's the act I put on my whole life. And so I had to come to terms and this, this time in India allowed me to do that, where I got to know myself again and I got to really figure out who I was because university for me, As I enjoyed the experience, it made me who I was today. I didn't enjoy the education aspect. I could have picked all of that up from YouTube, Um, but it allowed me to get in touch and recognize who I was—not this idea of who I wanted to be. Well, to to say it differently, to who I am, and who I and who I was potentially going to become Um, if I kept using that same like kind of thought train of you're going to become an investment banker. You're going to live. You're going to You know, work on wall street or in the investment houses you're going to live that life when I knew deep down that life wasn't built for me I wasn't built that way there's a certain type of individual that goes into investment banks and can deal with that that structure within that you know performance is is key you've got to perform otherwise you're out like they've got plenty of people gearing up for it so yeah I had to really come to terms with that and I got the privilege to be able to do it by going to India and having a year by myself with no interruption like I just cut off everyone and I made that choice because I knew I needed to to feel who I was really wanted to who I really wanted to connect with but you don't get to do that because you're doing a master's you're still around you know your friends and um like if you ever get the chance to get six months free and clear once you've done your masters if you're allowed to travel again or you know if you get to go on holiday I'd say take it take it go by yourself mm-hmm. find out and figure out who you are again yeah, and it's a, just an ongoing process
1: yeah and I think that's it like there's even now like I can talk about it without crying whereas before it was such an automatic response to just burst into tears thinking about it whereas now like I'm definitely at the point where I can talk about it and I want to talk about it because I think it needs to be talked about um but it, yeah like you say it will come with time it's been like a few years two years now um but it still obviously is affecting me whether it's like directly or not but yeah it's definitely something that over time we'll hope. well i would hope it would get easier
0: how do you if you don't mind me asking how do you deal with your depression
1: um A good question. (laughs) Um, I honestly don't know. Like, I take it out a lot on my family. I'm not very good at keeping a stable mood. My mood goes everywhere.
0: Um, Hold on. When you say your mood goes everywhere, is that? And I'm probably being stereotypical here. Is that is almost like it's bipolar to an extent?
1: Yeah. I mean, my my mood can change literally like in a second. I can be perfectly fine, and no one even has to do anything for me to be suddenly moving like I mean tiny things will set me off and it's frustrating because I am very aware of the fact that they're that I'm over overreacting I obviously can't control it but it's it's annoying because when people don't understand it you just feel like you're being like a brat or you know like a bitch whereas actually you know I don't want to be feeling like this I just want to I want to be more consistent but I find it really difficult sometimes i just feel like my emotions kind of go everywhere
0: i feel the same way like when i got back i had a I had a beautiful period of six months during the pandemic um when everyone's mental health was declining for me i had already in place the isolation the, the whole the whole mental state so for me it was business as usual like i just set up a routine and i just execute on that routine every day But um, it was coming back and having to adapt to the life that everyone thought I was going to lead in the UK that caused me at several points to spiral out. And my mum calls it a slippery slope. Uh, That's what she calls it when when she sees me going that way. But um, there's like, I've had about four kind of mental breakdowns in the time I've been back where, and for me, my coping mechanism has always been corners. No idea why, just makes me feel safe. So I end up, crawling up into a ball and essentially kind of bawling my eyes out and my brain clicks into a repeat so you know like a broken record yeah where it just says the same thing and it's like uh it's like song 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 and it just gets stuck like my brain kind of flicks into this this mode where it's stuck and it will just repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat constantly um and i don't know like i've got to take actions to get out of it of carving myself down breathing but it the mental toll it takes on you it just wipes me out completely like for a weekend it's like that's it it's written off I can't do anything because I'm so tired my body's literally gone through a workout trying to get me back to this point of of being whatever is stable but uh, I'm I'm still dealing with it Uh, I've been pretty good so far I haven't had any mental breakdowns or total mental breakdowns you know I think that crying is misunderstood as well
1: I absolutely do. It, people think it's a sign of weakness, but actually, letting out that emotion can—it really feels like you are letting it out. And once you stop crying, you're like, okay, so what can I do now?
0: Oh, most definitely. Like we—we we had a family uh, family meeting the other day, and um, I thought that I was being a monster to my brother. And um, like it's just, just an ongoing thing mentally. I haven't—I haven't kind of quite processed. Of I always think he looks at me differently. So I like I ended up just. Kind of just crying and, and realizing that it's I'm not angry because he calls he thinks I he think I think he thinks I'm a monster I'm crying because I think he thinks I'm a monster so again it's all in my head I know it is but sometimes you just need that space to just cry and someone tell you you know what you're doing all right and granted it's an amalgamation of the the, the workload that I've put on myself of trying to invest in cryptocurrency uh, and understand that space and make a business out of that you know the youtube the podcast and do a nine to five and have the context change so fast and then there's everything else i want to take on um but sometimes you just need a good old-fashioned cry because it helps it really does and and men men as well it's seen as weakness not not just women but for men especially it's like you cry you're not a man that's bullshit
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think that's one of the areas where the stigma is like, really severe is men just don't feel like they can have emotions or, you know, like you say, show signs of weakness. Um, And I just I think it shows a real strength of someone to be able to acknowledge when they're not feeling okay, and talk to someone about it, because it means that you're comfortable in what you're feeling and doing something about it to make it better i just i think it's such a shame that so many people are embarrassed to cry i think it's wrong because it really does make you feel better
0: i agree i I definitely agree with that i can't a good cry is almost like a reset it's like you get to your boiling point you cry um it's not that you're at your you're you're throwing out those feelings, but it allows you to be able to comprehend those feelings. Because the crying is just a buildup of the stress and whatever else in your head. But uh, yeah, I, I agree with that point. I think crying's good. I'd never thought it was, I always thought, thought it was a sign of weakness. I was part of that. I was part of those people that, that propagate that stereotype and that stigma. Like again, depression, I never thought I'd be the one to get it. But when, you, when, you, when it does hit and you have your depressive episode, you realize how alone you are in a way.
1: Mm.
0: And it just resets life in a whole different perspective. Like I had genuinely thought that there was no one around me that, that liked me, that wanted to be around me. I was constantly questioning myself for the words that I'd say to people. But in reality, I, there were people around me that did care for me. Like my flatmates did care for me. My parents did care for me, my brother did care for me. But um, it was my own my own brain just playing tricks. Mm. And it came off the back of a breakup, which kind of led to a midlife crisis, and then spiraled out of control. But I should have been in more. I should have. I felt like I should have been in in touch with myself more to be able to say that uni wasn't what wasn't what was best for me. But I thought that it was the right thing to do to power through when, in fact, maybe it wasn't. But who knows? Hindsight's twenty twenty.
1: Yeah,
0: exactly. Um. We can we can slowly come to an end. But something we like to do on the podcast now is, I give people a minute at the end to say whatever they like, and whether it's you know promoting promoting your work, whether it's some final words on on society. Floors yours. Oh my
1: So much pressure. I think that I guess I'll say like my next steps that I want to do. Like I really want to do a PhD. I don't know whether I want to start that straight away or whether I want to do that in a couple of years. But I definitely want. What my masters has made me realise and what like just more knowledge in general has made me realise is that I really want to focus on how inequalities affect health and how people who have less opportunities um, for health resources, less social support, lower income, things like that, how they impact on health and in particular how interventions can be put into place, how policies can be developed to reduce that inequality to give everyone an equal chance in in having a healthy life Um, and I think that more needs to be focused on yeah the individual differences in health and why some people are more predisposed to things like cancer and cardiovascular disease and strokes uh, and dementia um, because a lot of it does seem to come down to social inequalities. And I think that that is a really important topic and a conversation that needs to be happening more frequently. Um,
0: I can't wait to, for you to become Dr. Katie Taylor. <laughs> and uh, I, I really, I re- really enjoy what you do. I think you do a service to society in, in what you've come, been able to come on today and say. and and explain your experiences and talk about your experiences but also what you do with your social media because i think it's powerful to be able to have to deal with the thing that you're talking about and you're you're educating people on and also have to deal with it yourself so i commend you on your work i think you're amazing and um it's health by katie it's at health by katie on instagram (laughs) there will be a podcast coming soon i hope
1: Oh, yeah. I was actually thinking about it the other day, to be honest. I might, I might.
0: (laughs) Well, if you do, get into that. Well, no, I'll I'll text you all the information that you need. All right. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for coming on and I'll see you soon. All right. Yeah, definitely. Thanks,
1: Katie. Bye.